Hello ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to the GameDam.tv Community Podcast. I'm your host KB and this is episode number 11. I'm here with Brian Ricardo and we're talking about standing out. You know, you get out of college, you get done doing courses and all that self-education and you realize, wow, how am I different from all the other people doing this? And we're going to talk about that. So let's get right into the podcast. Topic is uh, how to stand out. Essentially, like in the gaming industry, how you know, tons of people graduate, but what makes them different from the rest? Yeah, I think a good way to stand out is to do the game dev courses. <laughs> I mean, they stand out out of every other. Yeah. yeah. Well, and I think you're absolutely right. I think that if if you're if you're approaching how do you stand out from a new dev, then experience and a little bit of yeah expertise in the tools is a big one yeah. you know yeah game dev is very different from regular developments you can get more entry-level positions paid positions as a software developer compared to a game developer for a game developer you really need that those initial experiences yeah. and for that you really you have to get your hands dirty you have to join open source projects and build a portfolio. Are, um, yeah, you need a portfolio. Exactly. And even, even if it is a game dev course and you just take you take those games and kind of make them your own. So yeah, do, do that thing. Yeah, uh, like join the community. Try to find some people. Do something with other people, you know. So um, with all this, one of the most important things is being specialized in a certain craft because a lot of people will you know dabble in a few things but to really yeah. stand out you have to be an expert in one thing and be really good at it yes i would say so but i think that that comes with some caution too because as a new person how can you really specialize from day one because you haven't gotten that experience yet i mean you know i think and ricardo could probably better talk to that one um you know, I think when you look at game development, you know, if you're going to try to get into the industry, you are going to start off in that kind of QA play testing role and having a level of programming that you can communicate with the development team or even a certain level of art experience that you can communicate with the artists mm-hmm. is useful as a team member. Well, maybe as a... Um beginning game developer you can start to go into the route of specializing so that you can get better and become that master yeah i say at the start you're probably gonna have to do a bit of everything anyway because you need to actually find out what you like because most people that get into game development they're not developers that want to build games they are people who want to build games want to find out what they can do to do that they're probably going to have a bunch of game designers and sound designers and artists that are dabbling into programming just to see if they if they can do that. So it's nice to do a bit of everything to a more general course. I think studying blueprints uh, it's a good path because it's not as time-consuming as plus plus and it's a skill that even as a designer or an artist you can use to help prototype faster. Yeah. Yeah, very much so. I mean, it, yeah, and you bring up a good point. Yeah, actually, it's funny because you mentioned that. And I, you, you probably saw Ben's post uh, on Twitter or whatever regarding Yan and uh, oh, I don't know his name. Their new Wagato course. Gavin? No, no, no. Yeah, no, no, yeah. not Gavin. It's uh, Michael. Oh, they're it's doing Yan Wagato. and then yeah. Michael Yan did Blender. Oh, they right. Michael did the. Uh, so did you, did you see uh, well they're doing a new Gato course which is like an intermediary Gato course oh, no, it's not through not. TV, which is weird um, I'll shoot you the link but oh, uh, cool. and the Kickstarter <laughs> but uh, yeah it's it's an like intermediate Gato and it, it kind of is similar I think kind of in concept to the uh the the un, uh, not the Unreal the Unity uh, kind of more advanced role playing course. But they did their own for Gato, and and I think when you talk about 
how to kind of find out what you like, even those kind of learning aspects really help because you kind of do get into the whole thing. I mean, they're, they're, they're going through the whole gamut of, you know, the game level layout, lighting, graphics. They're actually integrating, you know, Blender into the course to produce the assets. They're going to get into sound editing and, and uh, you know, stuff like that. So, you know, it's kind of a, a uh, way to dabble in all topics instead of, you know, trying to specialize. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's it's. I think it's a good idea to branch out and learn a lot of stuff. But to really stand out, you'd have to be good at one thing while knowing a lot of other things. So that you know. Yeah, to, it's, uh, yeah. It's kind of it's kind of hard because you just you came out of like whatever you're doing, and you're like, hey, I know all this, but I don't really know it that well. And they're like, well, be really good. You you well yeah. I think that's the difference of though. If you're a new beginner, you really can't stand out, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's going to be the hard part. Is because you don't know all the aspects of anything to really stand out. Now, I think when you look at smaller projects, indie projects, things like that, your own projects, you'll probably go down a path that tells you what you kind of enjoy doing. Some people really would rather do the level design. You know the, the the game design even, and then others would probably rather play test or be the programmer. Other people don't want to program at all; they want to do the graphic arts. They like that the best, mm-hmm. you know. And I think it's hard until you kind of go into a project and kind of do it from beginning to end to really know where you shine and and prefer to kind of exist. You know, you, you might yeah. think you want to be a programmer and then get to it and be like, no, I don't want to program. I don't want to debug all this crap. I want to do level design. I want someone to give me my assets and I want to put the story together for them with the assets that they provide. Yeah, I think indeed. And that's something you only get by joining either an open source project or a smaller project. So yeah, uh, I think for the start, there isn't much of a secret. You need to know a bit of the basics, get yourself a project, get some experience, some portfolio. With that portfolio comes the harder part, which is joining a whole team. With that comes some sets of skills that many people don't have, like interviewing skills and stuff and people think they know how to interview but they don't yeah so yeah i'd say watch some youtube videos there are a ton of nice things you can learn from that yeah the soft skills yeah starting off it's probably more soft skills than it is technical skills to be honest yeah from here on i I think there's something I think there's something to be said that if you're going into a game studio or whatever and they're predominantly an Unreal or a Unity shop, knowing your way around those engines, obviously, yeah. is pretty advantageous. But I don't think you would be expected to be a master, but they'd expect you to know how to find things inside the engine more than anything else. You yeah. know, coding is repetition and practice. Yeah, you're not going to be the very best like no one ever was right at the start, right? Yeah. I mean, unless you're a seasoned developer who's comfortable in C++ or C-sharp in Unity, and even then, I know a lot of software developers, I don't think I could put them in front of Unity or or Unreal and expect them to be able to make a game because they'd have to learn the implementation of those engines yeah. realize that C++ and Unity or uh, C Sharp, they're really just scripting backends for the engine's functionality. It's how they implement it more than they're not building a DirectX audio handler directly, you know? So it's very different in that regard of, of what you would typically learn programming wise or, or if, you know, people always want to make their own game engine. And while it sounds fancy and fun, I don't think they really understand 
what yeah, it, it, it sounds fun until you try it. <laughs> yeah. So one of these articles says being very high productive and being results focused. It kind of goes hand in hand. It's like basically it's, you sacrifice, I guess, a lot of your time to create stuff, to make stuff that, you know, that the teachers can give you something that you wanted to do on your own. Basically showing that you're able to motivated. get yeah, self-motivated and you can get a lot of stuff done. I guess sacrifice a bunch of your free time instead of hanging out with friends to produce a lot of content to show that, hey, I'll work hard and I've done all this stuff. So that you're hired. The past the peers are like kind of just there to do it, but not really, I don't know, passionate about it. It's kind of hard because like, I don't know why some people go into something that they're not super passionate about, like game building. I think like, it's a hard one to just be like, you know, I'm just going to make games. Kind of, just, just, just kind of. Well, it goes back to that portfolio, right? You yeah. got to have that body of work. An artist has to do the same thing, essentially, right? If they're going to go into an art but studio. Most people have yeah. portfolios, but what makes them stand out from just everywhere but do else. most people have portfolios really well, I mean, I mean if they go to the schools they should really. yeah what was that I mean if they go to universities or any kind of uh, technical school they should have a portfolio or something I would assume yeah, but, right ah uh, well I mean they're the majority yeah I don't think so I, I would say some probably do but I bet you most don't and I think it's more your portfolio can't be you follow the instructions that the textbook said. Well, exactly. It has yeah. to be something that is unique in yours. Now, it can be, like I said earlier, I mean, you could take any of the game dev games. They're fairly generic game concepts, and you can make them your own and extend them your own and give that game an entire life of its own and still have used the foundations of what you've learned to make it. It's just that you, you personalize it. You put your own assets into it. You did your own graphics, your own gameplay. You didn't just follow what they said. You know, I'm trying to think of a good example on the games and all the games are below. trying to blank at the moment, but like for um, battle tank. Instead of making just Battle Tank would be a good example. That's kind of one I was coming. Yeah. yeah, I mean, take Battle Tank, put it in a, a Tron world, and kind of create it there, and, and like an arena tank. You know, there's a, there's so many things you could do with a Battle Tank, and if you think about it, they're all kind of the same. And even World of Tanks kind of is that exact same game, right? I mean, it's just twenty people rolling around in tanks shooting things. Yeah, that's what Battle Tank is. You know, so you can you can you can leverage what you learn really quickly. I agree. Well, I shouldn't say quickly. That sounds optimistic, but you can leverage what you learn. <laughs> yeah, I think a lot of people get stuck in the idea that they have to have a very complex game with tons of mechanics and stuff. Yeah, sometimes it's better to have like a Tetris that works really well than to have yeah. a 4D chess. <laughs> 4D yeah. chess. Yeah, I would agree. Uh, I would agree. I, I think, you know, honestly, if I was to look at a developer's portfolio, quantity is probably not even as important as quality. And seeing their design process kind of from beginning to end, because then you know how they're going to mesh with your team as well. Can they yeah. take a project from start to finish instead of a bunch of portfolios that have a bunch of kind of not really polished products where it's like, well, they kind of did it, you know, but this one is complete. They went through every step of the development process that we would need to go through. That would be more meaningful to me. Uh, yeah. Another way to stand out is to... <laughs> Think differently, do things that most people wouldn't do, take risks. Yeah, I'd say yeah. be willing to do games you don't necessarily like to play. That's that's interesting. Especially when you get into a project, because if you're doing it on on your own, of course you're gonna do games you like to play. Because there's no point otherwise. But if you're doing a project with other people or 
joining a company. Um, why not, you know? Right. Because you'll be put on a task that you may not like. You know, it, it would be hard to program for a game that you kind of didn't really play, to be honest. Yeah. It'd be a challenge. You love programming that much. Because you're not really... I'm, eh, it's hard. It's hard. Because then you kind of wonder, are you just going through the motions to meet the mechanics? Where if you actually enjoy that genre of games, I think you kind of are more vested where you can see where you can improve on the dynamics of the game. Yeah, but I mean, uh, the counterpoint would be that you are exploring a genre that you don't necessarily know, so you're, you know, finding out new stuff. I feel like that's better if you're already seasoned and like you've you've been doing it for a while. Yeah, but if you're getting started, it's nice to have some experience doing very different type of things. Yeah. You no, know, not full triple A projects, but like. And I agree. Small FPS is more platformer. I think you're right. That's what it comes down to. Is it is it a smaller game? Is it something that you're completing in, we'll call it six to nine months or 12 months realistically? You know, if this is a three or four year project, if you don't have any interest in it, you probably don't want to spend your time doing a three to four year project. But I would agree. I might be interested in doing a, a 90 day, six month project that I don't really have any interest in, but just to get experience or learn a different aspect, yeah, that'd be okay. Especially if you're going with a routine group of people, you might be changing up that topic you know, every six months. Now let's do this game. Maybe you'll have interest in this genre of game. You know, People get pretty focused on what kind of games they like. Some people just want to make race car games. You know, It's like, well, I personally have no desire to play racing games. You know? Yeah, me too. That's me. You know? It's just, uh, after I play one, I play them all. Yeah, right? But I mean, yeah, I the that everything looks kind of the same. At least from you know outside. The funny thing is, someone would say the exact same thing about your typical Battle Royale RTS games or Battle Royale mm-hmm. games. Right? Yeah. It's like once you've played one RTS, you've played them all. You just have to learn the different mechanics of the different units and you're good to go. Yeah. And they're absolutely right. Yeah. You know? I mean, there, there is not a huge mechanic difference. It's very rare that you find a game that's just kind of unique on its own. Yeah. It's kind of a, like... Cuphead I mean, is probably one. Which unique. is more of just a platform game, right? Yeah. I haven't played it. It's on my wish list. I just haven't even... I haven't got it yet. Neither but it looks fun. It looks, it looks cool. Yeah. Just kind of that classic fun game. The funny thing is I actually have an iPhone game that I recently downloaded. What's it called? It's, it's like... Uh, Marjolina Hero. Okay. And it's a little different of a game. So it's kind of like a medieval themed game that you uh, you just attack something, but basically it has a little like a little spinning circle at the top with like your targets that you're supposed to hit and you're the sword. Mm-hmm. And just as those targets pass underneath your sword, you tap on it to strike the opponent. You know, some of them have like a hundred hit points and then you buy gear and stuff. But it's a very low tech game. That's just a little bit different gameplay, and all you're doing is basically tapping to play it at a certain rhythm pace mm-hmm. to do it. And I would never have thought of doing that, but it does make for an interesting game. And I mean, it's fairly a time waster, but it's fun. Yeah, it's, having fun. You know? oh, yeah, yeah time. exactly. You know. But I mean, uh, back to the perspective of the race car game. And we were talking about uh, if you had the opportunity to work, I don't know, for like a blizzard to make the next Diablo or make an indie game. You do the game you don't really like or the indie game? Well, see, I'd make the next Diablo, so it's not really fair, right? Because I would actually enjoy that genre. But I know what you're saying. You're right. Obviously, to attach yourself to a larger project. But again, that's that's a little hard to say. I don't, I don't know the answer to that because I'm trying to think of, of a game genre that is a big budget game 
that is like, like an auto racing game. I even, can't even think any because, like, honestly, if you could think of all one, the sports games, right? Dom? Yeah, sports. Well, see, a lot of the sports games actually are pretty fun. Um, I mean, I, mean, are, I don't probably I don't care. Games. It's the same thing. It's I don't know. It, 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 yes, it would just have to be. I don't know. Yeah, race car games are just a bad example. I just don't yeah. like race cars. <laughs> There's like I can find every excuse not to work on a race car game, <laughs> but you know, like, VR or AR or some kind of different reality. See, and like I the Teslas, like the Teslas, where you can now have a game where you drive with the steering wheel while you're not parked. Is that kind of cool? Yeah. No. Have you seen it? No. Yeah, it's like the screen. They have the game, and then to control it is the steering wheel of the car because you're not driving, so you're parked. Right. So you feel to like you're all to just drive their test like it's a video game. Yeah. You're right. Yeah, and they're that making Fallout Shelter for you. It's really like a new console. Tesla's a console now. Great. <laughs> no, Elon Musk is an E3. You should, it's, I was like, damn. Uh, it was yeah. crazy. Well, yeah, I don't think that's a good idea personally, but whatever. Um, I mean, if you're bored in traffic, you put it in park and, <laughs> just drive and, and play a game, right? And then put it in drive two seconds later and uh, come on the gas and go 100 miles an hour in a school zone. I mean, because you're playing a game. If you're in LA and there's some traffic, or Orlando, or Atlanta, oh my gosh. Yeah, you might right? be there for days. I don't right? know. I know what you're saying, and, and, I, and I would agree, I guess, that I could probably develop on a lot of different platforms, different styles of games, even if I don't really care for them. I guess my argument to that would be is, if I didn't really care for it, I don't know how much creative input I would offer. Yeah, I got you. You know what I mean? Because yeah. it, it's not something that I would have a lot of vested interest in making it better. Where I think we all play games, and since they're in genres that we like, we very much quickly realize the things we would have done different mm-hmm. to make the yeah, game better. I mean, at the same time, uh, one good way to stand out is to try to show enthusiasm, show proactiveness, even right. for games you don't necessarily enjoy. Oh, I agree with that. And I would agree. I would agree. I mean, I, I, I would completely agree with that. I mean, I think that, you know, it's different when you look at it from an indie perspective or whatever, because you're not looking at it as a way of generating your paycheck. Yeah. Once you're dependent upon your programming for a game industry, you're going to go with money, is, right? That's just going to be plain and simple. It's not going to make a difference what they're making. You know, yeah. like if you're remaking Mario Kart, the original version, you'd be like, deal, done. Yep. Yeah. Play it on. Let's go. You know, right? Exactly. It's like, okay, deal. And just even if just to add to your CV that you worked at Nintendo, Microsoft. Anywhere, really, right? I mean, as long as someone's giving you a paycheck, especially a big deal. Especially if you stay there for a year plus. Because, yeah, joining a AAA company and staying for three months is not the best for your CV. Yeah. Might show that you're actually pretty weak. Right. Depends. Exactly. If it's temporary. Maybe it shows that if they it's like you. contract work or temporary. Yeah. Um, but of course, it's a full time like position. You would wonder why they didn't invite you to the next project. But back to the enthusiasm. I feel like that's also a very important way to stand out is to be excited about what you're doing, be passionate about it. To be eager to, yeah. to do all things with, and then just go to the interview. And be like, "Hi, I love this. I love that. Let's make it happen." Even if you're not as good yeah. as some other people, it just shows that hey, like, this is a cool person to be around. He will teach him, help him get up to speed, yeah. and he will yeah. get things done. And he's fun to be around. Like, nobody wants to be yeah, around people who are just like, "Ah, oh, get it done when I get it done." Yeah, yeah it's much easier yeah. to learn technical skills than soft skills. Yeah, right. Well, I think if you're looking at it from like the software interview process honestly for as many as i've sat through while they're looking for technical skills they are looking for a company culture personality fit almost more than the technical skills yeah. the research. Is, please research the company 
Yeah, I, I can teach the technical skills. That's not the problem. But I can't make someone who doesn't fit with the organization fit with the organization. Yeah. Because yeah. you find people who are good match. It motivates everyone because they're all become friends. And they're all, right. You know, good. And they're like, let's make this awesome product together because we're right. all And they work get. together well. Yeah. Exactly. I mean, they don't need to be close. They just need to work together well. Mm-hmm. And then sometimes you get personalities where it's just like, I don't think I can work with this person, you know, yeah. in the long run. Or different points in their careers you know most of the time when i'm looking at software developers it's more seasoned <clears throat> you know you can tell the interviews that you're sitting in where it's like well this person doesn't want uh, to be the junior or senior developer they want to be the software architect and we already have that position so they're not going to fit because they're going to butt heads the whole time it's just not worth it and there's the soft spot between yeah i'm a developer and I would like to get a bit better and become an architect. And uh, right. I want to enjoy right now and be the architect. Exactly. The guy who's already there. Exactly. What about like resumes and cover? Do they, is there anything that stands out to you when you do these interviews? Well, again, I can't really speak from the, the, game development side on that one. But I mean, I would say, you know, no, (laughs) I mean, you know, certainly you look at their background, what they've done, but it's really hard when you look at a resume because a lot of software people, they're not at the same company for year after year they tend to jump around a lot more and kind of move with the projects. And so a lot of businesses ramp up, do a lot of the software development, and then they scale back down and they get into that maintenance phase where they don't need all the developers anymore. So it's pretty common to kind of see developers coming and going from jobs all the time. Certainly if they're coming and going at a high frequency, you know, nine month windows, yeah, that might be a little, cautious, but I guess it all depends on what your project length is, too, or what you're having them do. Okay. And then what about proving that you can deliver? I guess it goes with portfolios. It's just prove that you can do the job and do it better than most. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I would say your portfolio, honestly, you could even argue certifications if they exist for software packages. You know, yeah, having small demos might be nice. Demos, you know, um, you know, I, I don't think Unreal has certifications, but like I know Unity does. Do they still have? Well, Do they change? As far, as I, as far as I know, they still do. Maybe not, but it wouldn't hurt to have that. At the end of the day, if you're going into a Unity shop, you're like, look, yeah. I have the certification. So if I'm seeing quality as everybody else, but at least I'm certified, it's a certain level of motivation that I did on my own to show that I want to do this, you know, it can't hurt, you know, but I I do think that there's just that practical hands-on, you know, what have you done? That's the biggest part of it. Yeah. I think that the two hardest parts are always, you know, getting the first position and then once you're inside, you know, showing you're not just another guy coding. Yeah. Yeah, I think you're right. Whatever. Position is probably the hardest. And then after that, you should be in a lot better position because you have experience and, you know, people fall out of the industry and so forth and you're above the entry levels. It doesn't take, takes a long time to become a master of something, but if you're actively programming in Unity 40, 50 hours a week, you know, you're going to become pretty proficient six to nine months for a lot of aspects of the engine. Yeah, and when you're building real games, you come into real problems. Yep. Compared to if you're doing a project on your own, you get stuck into something, you can just throw it away. Right. Just do something else. Exactly. Well, and the nice thing about it from that perspective is there's also, you get to see what other people's solutions are to the same problem. Yeah, you know, there's there's an advantage of 
being able to peek at that code that someone else did having a senior developer to learn from. Yeah. 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 I think that's a very good aspect of working in a bigger team with more seasoned developers. Cause when you're working in more indie projects, especially when you're getting started, you aren't working with more experienced people overall. You might have six months of programming and be the, senior developer for the team. Right, exactly. Yeah, very much so. Yeah. Uh, another big aspect to standing out is not standing out for the wrong reasons. True. So, uh, like, so, try not to become a, like, the verb, <laughs> like when people say as uh, someone Kevin the code, for instance. That's not a good thing, usually. Mm. But um, one thing I'm interested too is this stuff, like making a podcast, YouTube videos, stuff like that, to stand out. I know I noticed a lot of game developers that just make random like C plus plus tutorials. Probably if they learned it and they were like, you know what, let me teach that just to confirm that I knew how to do it, and as a portfolio to show people later, like, hey, I know how to do this. Yeah, yeah. I, I it probably would help. I don't know if I would say unless your name was really big. I don't know if it would make much of a difference to say that I created 20 YouTube videos. Although maybe the hiring person, if it was within the kind of their genre, would say, oh, maybe I'll sit there and watch the videos and kind of see what they did. Um, you know, I, I think, you know, if we switch gears and now look at it as how do you stand out as an indie developer, then I think unit, uh, YouTube videos and things like that could certainly help because they're marketing pieces for you. Yeah. You know, what about podcasts? Well, I don't really listen to them, to be honest. <laughs> um, but, I, I, you know, I know a lot of people do. So, I mean, I guess at the end of the day... Do you think it just shows work ethic? Like, hey, they can produce something pretty good quality daily? Or weekly? Yeah, I think it could. I, I don't know if, like, even even this podcast, I would say if we got into the more details of the GameDev.TV content and coding, that at some point it might have to become a video cast because you can't just talk about programming topics without also demonstrating some of them in code. Yeah. You know, so that that eventually. Right, exactly. But I'm just saying, right. So if you're looking at it as a marketing standpoint for your resume that you did a podcast, it might, if anything, just kind of lend to your personality. But I don't think it would necessarily show your capabilities as a developer. Okay, I think it shows more your enthusiasm, your yeah, soft skill as well. Okay. Exactly. Yeah. And by you know listening to the podcast, and they can kind of measure your personality. So. Exactly. Yeah. What else? Mm-hmm. Maybe being up to date with new technology. I guess, like, you know, got out out, and now most people know about it. So maybe dabbling in it. You know. I don't know if I would say it would matter. Mm-hmm. I, I think it's going to matter to certain software development houses that are trying to use that technology. But then on the flip side, if you're totally 100% invested in Unreal, do you really care if they're on the latest and greatest no Gato? You'd yeah. rather them know Unreal Maybe. and very comfortable in that environment. Um, Maybe then it's just engines, but like, you know, different languages, designs, um, tech. It it may have a place if it's the right language that can be leveraged. Because okay. these are new developers trying to stand out from, like, older developers yeah. who've been in the industry longer. But the technology, if you think about it, I don't want to say it hasn't changed, but at the same time, it hasn't, right? Yeah. Unreal, still C++. Mm-hmm. Unity is still C sharp, you know, written in C plus plus probably, but then it's C sharp scripting engine. They don't haven't. Think it's as important to stand out. I think it depends on okay. the game. 
I think it depends on HR. Yeah, well, well, so if you go to, and I can't think of any other good names right now, but if you, what if you're making a game that's pretty much being delivered online? Like a lot of those, you know, O game was one of the big ones for a long time where they're all kind of web based games. Well, then obviously having experience within the web based technologies is going to be advantageous because if you're not leveraging Unity or Unreal, then who cares if you have skills in those? So it, it does kind of target. And you see ads on the internet all the time for play this online game kind of thing. And it's just a in-browser game, you know, kind of like Clash of Clans and things like that. I don't even know what languages are written in, but I think a lot of them are like HTML5 and stuff now. So obviously having skills in that realm would make sense. And obviously probably no one in that language. Like right. Spanish or French or that'd be a good one. Multilinguage? Yeah. Yeah probably. Bilingual. bilingual, I mean I think is always a plus to be yeah. honest. I don't think bilingual would ever hurt you. I don't know if it, it would never hurt you, but I don't know if depending on the organization if it would really stand out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And certainly uh, yeah, for game development, I think the only one that would make you stand out that would actually be Japanese. Because Nintendo? Because Japan is kind of closed compared to European companies. They are probably working mostly in English. Hmm. Compared to Japan, yeah. they're different, <laughs> I'd say. You're probably right. I mean, I, certainly, I, I you know... Uh, multilingual, you know, if you're going to learn a language, I mean, I'm sure people learn languages all the time of different languages, but when people kind of pick up that second language, the list is probably pretty short of popular second languages. And for a lot of the world, I think English is probably the popular second language, right? So you might learn a third language. I don't know if you know a third language or not, but, uh, you know, in the United States, what are the popular foreign languages to learn? You're learning Japanese, Chinese, French, German, Russian, Spanish. Yeah. German has German has a big market as well. Yeah, you know, okay. um, developed and it has a ton of countries that actually speak it. So, yeah, they are developed countries. Mm-hmm. You know, but, the, but you know, the, that's just the U.S.'s perspective of foreign yeah. languages, you know. Well, a lot of people I know from Europe that I've met over the years, they always seem to know three languages, you know. seems pretty common. To, I, I struggle with just learning my one language. They got they know three. Yeah, it's so hard. Languages don't come easy for me. No, they never came easy to me either. Yeah. <laughs> it's a struggle. <laughs> I'll try to speak Spanish. I'm like, it's... Mm. Not happen. No, and uh, Spanish easy. Try to learn something Slavic, and you see that yeah. Spanish is super easy. I mean, of course, of course. Yeah, but, yeah. But I'll tell you, I thought English was really easy to learn. Yeah, just, saying, just saying. <laughs> Grammar was always yeah. hard for me. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. nowadays the world is in, in English, so you're good now. Any of it's that. easy to just by browsing the internet and stuff. Yeah. I think we hit on a lot. Yeah, we can talk about bad stuff not to do. Oh, okay. I like that. What not to do. What not to do yeah. in an interview or just in general? Just the interview. Start with that. Just really what matters when you're going in for your first interview. Right don't be of, late. Don't be late. That's, yeah. Don't. Uh, so that's yeah. like number now, one. I mean, to be honest, I think a lot of people are late. And don't wear shorts and uh, flip-flops like my one of my friends. I went to an interview. Yeah. And wore, I was like, bro, what are you doing? What are you I don't doing? care where you're interviewing. What are you doing? Dress professional. Was he, was he interviewing for like a surf shop maybe? No, he was interviewing for like Sears. For Microsoft. But it was, yeah, can you imagine that? <laughs> and he might, yeah. <laughs> Oh, Maybe okay. Facebook, like Facebook. Silicon Valley is a different realm, so I don't have much experience interviewing for that. But 
not even just for interviews. Uh, people tend to go for the minimum dress code. I think there's nothing maximum. We can segue that to a lot. I think people go into minimum for everything. Dress code, yeah. their portfolio, their skills, <laughs> like yeah. life. Which, I mean, everyone's right. in the core is kind of lazy. But yeah, I mean, now it's well, legal, yeah. Maybe bring us some yeah, topics. Yeah. People like being kind of mediocre. Yeah. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> it's true, though. It's, in a weird no, way. it's true. I mean, but you because you got to put more effort into being above, yeah. right? Yeah. And and that's really where it gets hard for people, it's, you know. And you got to be willing. You only have so many hours in the day, so you got to sacrifice something, right? Mm-hmm. If you want to make an indie game, you can't, you can't expect to do it. 20 minutes here or there, it's got to be, you know, potentially a couple hours, a few hours every day or, you know, every other day putting time into the project to really move the ball forward. And if you're not willing to do that, then you're going to be like a lot of little work in progress is all over YouTube of this is what I've done where you can just tell it's just kind of like playtime and they produce nice little things, but they're never going to really produce a product because they're not really trying to do that they're just trying to demonstrate something that they thought was cool made a yeah. fence swing open or something you know yeah another important aspect uh, comes down to what we were talking a couple weeks ago about realizing you're building a product you're not building something for fun right uh, you have to produce something that brings value and, um, well, let's not forget that we got into this industry because it's fun. But yeah, well, we, that's a whole different aspect, though. I mean, if you're yeah. talking about somebody else, again, you're you're executing somebody else's vision. Yeah, and yeah. that's what you're being paid to do. You know, if you want to talk about getting in the industry for fun, then you're kind of talking about being an indie, right? And you're going to build well, I mean, what oh. is fun for you. You're passionate about what you're specialized in. I feel like it should be fun enough for you to yeah. enjoy it. And be, I mean, that's how you stand out. So you're passionate about it so that you can go in there and be like, hey, let's get it done other than, hey. Because yeah, I know a lot of smart people who are really good, but they're not passionate about things. So, like, they put in yeah. the same amount of work as somebody who isn't as smart as them would put in. And it's like, it's just a waste of effort. And, yeah, I don't know. Just have you ever went out with like a bunch of developers? Depending on the team, they will talk either about random stuff or about developing. Right. It's, it's easy to notice the ones that really love programming and the ones that yeah, do it mostly just because. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, you know. You could also argue that, you know, there's uh, your whole life doesn't have to revolve around programming to love programming. You know, you should have other interests in life. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, you know? I mean, the point is to get so good that you don't have to spend as much time as when you started. That's important. Yeah. <laughs> But I think that also goes hand in hand with your demands on yourself get higher and higher too, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You know, you go from making a platformer side scrolling game to a full blown 3D game and you know, maybe now you're like lead programmer, so you're not just in charge of like one line of code, you're in charge True. of all these yeah, so True. Your roles probably change. Yeah. But, you know, you, you get more ambitious in your goals and you can see that when you look at the game development shops in general right you can see go back to their first games that they released and how they progressively gotten better and better and you know part of that's time and technology but you can see that the quality of their work is also just kind of matured over time and, and some of that's because they reuse the same code base for a new game so they, they've fixed the bugs that they created the first time around to make the experience better. Or just have less work to do because they don't have to build the basics. That's that's just been business sense, right? Yeah. You know, why wouldn't you reuse the engine if you can, if you can 
Where yeah, you why, why would you code? build an, a language from scratch, um, an engine from scratch, if you don't have a very good reason? Right. You know, in a lot of ways, you can swap out art assets and storyline, level design, and have a completely different game with not doing as much coding as you'd think probably, you know? I mean, yeah. still a lot, but, you know, relatively to get you to that point, far less. Yeah, you can always grab the previous game, add a couple extra mechanics, and your story, and you have something completely different. Yeah, exactly. Do we have any more uh, things you shouldn't do at an interview or <sighs> as a developer? <laughs> There's whole books on what not to do as an interview, right? Or what to do in an interview. Um, for a developer, I think we have some input, but I don't know about the rest of the industry, like art stuff, in terms of how to show your work, you know? Yeah. I mean, I don't think the what not to do's are going to be drastically different than any other interviewing process. Yeah, in terms of soft skills, indeed. But in terms yeah. of, like, things to do on the on the job, like, yeah, try to build self-documenting codes that kind of doesn't translate to an artist. No. And, and, you know, you'll run into certain aspects, right? I mean, something like that's maybe best practice, but not the real-world practice, too, right? Some code is just written really messy in organizations. There's nothing you can do about it. Yeah, it's kind of just code and complete code and rethink your strategy. <laughs> it's funny because my company actually gave all the developers the clean yeah, code book. book. Yeah, I have it too. How is it? I haven't read it. I've only read the beginning part so far. Yeah, I need to get Good. started. I'm focusing on the learning goes to right now. It's actually really good. Like it's very simple. I have a bunch of visuals. Oh, it's a picture book. Pretty much, yeah, right. It is a picture book. Not that <laughs> a little bit. It's a lot of you know. It's, it's a fun book. Keeps you engaged. Nice. Maybe that's another thing too. Read a lot of different game development books. Get educated about a lot of things. You can have more conversations with the higher ups, the people around there. Show them, hey, he actually knows what he's doing. Yeah, I, I would, I would agree with that. I, I think a drive in education, self educating, is is always a good thing. You know, yeah. um, in terms of books, it's easy to get into, especially with programming and technology overall. It evolves so fast that. Focus on books about concepts, not necessarily about technologies. Right, right. Learn how to think instead of specifically how to code. Yeah, because yeah, if, if you buy like a best-selling Pascal book from the mid-90s, that's kind of irrelevant. Right. You know, so, yes. I looked up some things not to do as a game developer. And it says, do not fall for survivorship bias. Which is like, I'm just going to end up succeeding at some point. Because you just will. Which you won't. And it says, like, take your time. Think of the options ahead. Talk to people, ask for advice. Analyze every option. Yeah. Let's see. Yeah, I guess it's just that most people are very optimistic and enthusiastic about what they're making. And thinking it's always going to succeed. And it's not. Yeah, it comes back to what we were talking before, like a few podcasts ago, that sometimes you have to know when to give up on a project. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Not every game is going to work out. And some AAA companies have to learn from that as well. They waste millions of dollars building games. And then they get two years later and drop instead of a year before. It, it's hard though, right? When you've invested millions into a game to just abandon. Yeah, there's no. that idea 
uh, you wasted a billion dollars. Now do you waste two hundred million more and ship something bad or throw everything out? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I guess I don't know the answer to that, but that's why you know we were talking about it just before the podcast was that there's a lot of games out there. So if you don't if you don't produce something that's I wouldn't say necessarily unique, but you know you have to somehow make it stand out in some way, or yeah. it, it may die. You know, I, I as I was saying earlier, I mean, I, I I play plenty of games, and then you know, in my prime of playing games, my, some of my games had a shelf life of a day. Yeah, the mechanics didn't appeal to me some aspect of it just wasn't right. It's like, I, I moved on. It had been a good game, but it's like, it was flawed from day one. Didn't care. You know? I see from, from most, I think most indie projects, they kind of lack on marketing, marketing strategies overall. Yeah. People think that just making a nice game and throw it out and hope word of mouth kind of catches up. But you need those first 100 or 200 players to actually start talking about the game. Yeah. Here's another one that's funny, but like, don't ignore the fact that you're part of the industry. Yeah, but we were talking yeah. two podcasts ago. It's actually people do it for money, not for, especially if you're working for a AAA project. Yeah, there are millions and millions of dollars invested in that game. Even if it's just a couple hundred, it's still money. Right. Cool. Well, anything else you want to add to the topic? Nah. Right. That's coming up. Guess we nailed it. Sweet. Yeah. Just be enthusiastic, study different subjects, master one, learn a lot. What else? Yeah. Um, you know, partially, I think what you could help you stand out a little bit too, thinking about it, you know, especially if you think about the AAA games where they have dozens or hundreds of developers, asset artists, so forth, right? Yeah. Or source control would be a big one. Oh, okay. Like yeah. How to navigate those systems would be a good skill even for a beginner because you're going to encounter it pretty quick. Yeah, and that's something people tend to ignore when they are working on their own. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Compared to, well, all the other skills you kind of know you'll need, you right. use. Yeah, but like, you know, TFS, Git, whatever it is, right? You're going to... You're going to get something thrown at you, especially if you're in a uh, development studio with other people. Yeah. Just be, oh, uh, yeah, it's just a hodgepodge of files. On that one. Yeah, that's awesome. Go up there and be a rock star in the video game industry. Show them who you are. <laughs>